Stick those earbuds in your ears and listen up, you heathen cunt. May the Lord bless everyone who beats their children against the rocks. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children against the rocks. May the Lord bless everyone who beats your children against the rocks. Welcome to Dwight Explains the Bible, where we say no way to Yahweh. Welcome everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Um, today we're going to be talking about a couple different uh, little things. Um, we're going to talk about a story from Mark chapter 2, and then we're also going to talk about Christian domination. Those are going to be the two main things we're going to talk about, but of course we're going to have a little bit of other stuff here and there. So I guess we'll just start off with Mark chapter 2. The first of the two stories from Mark chapter 2 that we're going to talk about um, is when these people wanted to bring a paralytic man to Jesus. And in the Gospel of Mark, we don't know his name. There, in a different Gospel, there's a story of Lazarus. But this one specifically, um, it doesn't name his name. But people are trying to get this man to Jesus so they so Jesus would heal the guy. Um, but he was in a temple, I guess. It doesn't really say. Um, but it was too crowded. They couldn't get the man in. So they went up on the roof and they made a hole and they lowered the guy to Jesus and Jesus healed him. Now, here's the thing. So these guys just tore a hole in the ceiling. Like they, they literally dug into the ceiling to make a hole to lower this guy. Um, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody dug a hole into my roof to talk to me, they're the last person that I'm going to want to talk to, right? And hopefully after Jesus healed the paralytic man, he fixed the roof, right? Because he is a carpenter and he's magical. So hopefully he fixed the roof. Um, but when... Jesus healed the paralytic man. He said, uh, get up, take your your cot and go. Like they lowered him down on a cot or something or a mat. He said, take your mat and go. So here's where we get into the uh, telepathic Jesus. So, um, so let me just read you real quick what the, the verse actually says, so I'm not sitting here trying to misquote it the whole time. But they they, they brought the paralyzed man, um, and then Jesus saw this. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, thinking to themselves, listen to that, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. I think it's kind of funny that 
whenever you hear somebody talk about this story, they never talk about the part that Jesus was reading their minds. They just say, that's what the people said. How can you say this? They don't say that they were just thinking it and Jesus read their minds because that's kind of a crazy notion. But the Gospels of Mark literally says he's reading their mind. He can see it. He knows in his spirit that that's their question they have in their heart. So we got to remember that the Bible doesn't understand human anatomy. So first off, you don't have thoughts in your heart right? Your thoughts are all contained in your mind. The Bible doesn't understand anything about human anatomy. There's another verse in the New Testament that says, all knees will bow. How does a knee bow? That's like literally impossible for a knee to bow. So anyway, so obviously the Bible can't be from God if it doesn't understand basic human anatomy. But God or Jesus can read your mind, right? Jesus is reading your mind and he answers questions that you were just thinking. So in the second story of Mark, um, it's real quick, but I'm just going to nitpick a little bit here. Um, Jesus wasn't a, wasn't being telepathic. He was just being nosy and he was eavesdropping on people. Um, so the, the Jesus went to, uh, what Mark calls the Levi's house, which is like a big cafeteria or something, right? Um, and he was sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the the leaders, the priests, the uh, Pharisees were asking Jesus' disciples, um, why does he sit with the sinners and the tax collectors, right? Like, they didn't say this in the gospel, but like, why isn't he sitting with us, the holy people? And Jesus replied, who is it that needs a doctor but the sick people, right? The sick people need a doctor, not the healthy people. Um, so just nitpicking a little bit, um, if the the leaders, if, if the, the priest weren't doing the right thing, then don't they need a doctor? Shouldn't Jesus be sitting with them to tell them to go sit with everybody else? So if the Pharisees were teaching the message of God to the people and they were doing it wrong, wouldn't you want to get the spokesperson to be correct? The guy who's going to be speaking to the crowds, wouldn't you want that guy to be correct. So if you're going to be this big Jesus Messiah figure, wouldn't you go talk to the Pharisees and tell them what they're doing wrong? Because literally, if Jesus is going to the people of the village or of that town, I'm going to quote the office here, but wouldn't Jesus be fermenting insurrection? Wouldn't he be getting the people to rise up against the Pharisees, he's literally, like, Jesus is literally trying to inspire the people to go against the teachers of God's law, rather than going to the teachers and saying, you're wrong. Um, if you have a child in school and the teacher says something wrong, you don't tell the child to go confront the teacher. You yourself talk to the teacher, right? So how would this be any different? Now, having said this, um, I do kind of want to backtrack on what I said, because there's another way to look at this. 
Um, there is an example that I heard a long time ago um, about helping. Um, so let's say you walk up on this waterfall, this big waterfall, and all of a sudden you just see a whole bunch of babies coming over the waterfall. For whatever reason, a whole bunch of babies are coming off the waterfall. So you want to help, right? So how do you help? Do you go down to the bottom and try to catch them? Do you try to climb to the top and stop them from going over the waterfall? Do you run into town and you try to get somebody, get the fire department or whatever, right? You, you try to get help. All three of these options are helping. But is there a right way? Is climbing up the waterfall and letting all the babies that are going to be falling just keep falling while you're climbing? Do you try to catch them knowing that you're just going to tire out eventually? Do you go get help that might be able to solve this whole problem, but in the meantime, babies are going to die? So, there, there, there's not exactly a, a wrong way to help. Yes, like you might say, no, the only answer is to go up and climb to the top and stop them. Um, uh, you, another person might say, no, you need to catch them because when you climb up, you're going to allow babies to fall. So which way is the right way to help? Now, if you're at the bottom of the waterfall and you're catching babies, it's like the old uh, starfish thing where the guy's walking on the beach and he's, thro he's throwing in starfish back into the water one at a time. And somebody comes up to him and says, um, why are you doing this? You're never going to make a difference. And he's like, well, it matters to this one. Right. So the one I saved, it matters to that one. So, again, if you're at the bottom catching babies, it matters to that one. Personally, I would go to the top and try to see what's going on and try to stop it all together. Um, but again, there, there's no wrong way to help here. So the fact that Jesus was talking to the people rather than the preachers, it's not necessarily wrong. I just think there's a better way. Correct the person who's going to be broadcasting the message rather than talking to just a small group of people who are just going to start ignoring God's chosen people. God sent God to tell God's people to ignore God's chosen spokespersons. Like that just, that just doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. So earlier today, I was live on TikTok and I was having another abortion broadcast. I was talking about Numbers chapter 5, and the only thing I was saying on repeat, I, I was probably very annoying to everyone listening, was what happens to the fetus? If the woman was with child and she did the bitter water test, what would happen to the fetus? What would happen to the fetus? And I just kept repeating myself and ended up, I got kicked off. Um, I got I got booted for bullying people because um, I was asking the question. So we got a lot of people who were ignoring the question and then they, they would attack the, the way I constructed the question or whatever else. But they're like, show me in the Bible where it literally says God approves of abortion. Okay, right after you show me where the Bible literally says Jesus loves you. Ah, how about that? People say Jesus loves you, but it's never said in the Bible anywhere, literally, Jesus loves you. You have to infer that. You have to read stuff and presume 
that because of what you read that Jesus loves you. So in the Bible, Jesus says he loved his disciples, love others as I have loved you when he's talking to his disciples, but not us, not us. He doesn't love us. Um, it says God so loved the world. Yeah, his creation as a whole, right? But it never literally says Jesus loves us. So they want to be smart and use their um, critical thinking in one spot, but they don't want to apply it to another spot. So what happens here is, and this, this has been my theory for a while, so Christians, they hear the message of Jesus and God. They hear it from their friends. They go to church. They hear the pastor talking about all these things, and they just accept that story. They accept the story that they're being told. And then when they go and read the Bible, they have to find a way to maintain the idea that they already have in their head about who God is. So when they read something in the Bible that doesn't fit that narrative, they have to find a way to rationalize it. Oh, it's it wasn't being literal. It was a metaphor. It was a different time. It was a different people, right? But they can't ever just agree that this is what it says. So to an outsider, it's very plain as day to just say, yeah, that's what it says. But if you come into the Bible with an idea of who God is already, then you have to use the Bible to support that idea. An outsider reads the Bible and then comes up with the idea of who God is based on what the Bible says. So now, Christians want you to become a Christian. They want to spread the gospel, but only under their delusion, right? They, they can't back up what they say from the Bible, even though they say they follow the Bible. If you bring the Bible to them, they run away. So they have this delusion that they want you to follow. And I refuse to give in to the delusion. I refuse. And what else does the Bible promote? We know Numbers 31, save the virgin daughters for yourselves. Then in Deuteronomy, you take them back home with you. You wait 30 days and then you molest them, right? We know that's in the Bible. So taking somebody away from their home for any purpose of sex is called human sex trafficking. So the Bible promotes human sex trafficking. And I don't know how many of you might have heard of uh, Andrew Tate, and he was recently arrested for human sex trafficking. Guess who can't uh, speak against that? The Christians, because the Christians support that, even if they don't know it when they, they promote the Bible. When this is why I spend so much time explaining what the Bible says, because if you know all the horrible stuff in there, I would hope that you would no longer want to follow it. But if you're a Christian and you promote the Bible, then you're promoting human sex trafficking, which I think is horrible. I hope you also think it's horrible. But I talk about this today because there's a thing of Christian domination. They, they, they claim that they're persecuted, but what they're doing is persecuting everybody else who doesn't uh, agree with their narrative, who speaks about things any bit differently than what they want it to be said. You can talk about the Bible, but only this part, this part, and this part. The rest of it you have to ignore. 
and and that that's just ridiculous they want to push this narrative and so okay so yeah so when you see a christian maybe they're a nice person they're friendly whatever um but then they go to church or they they share the gospel with their friends and then that other person might be this horrible person who does this stuff that the bible talks about and gets their spiritual reassurances from the good christian that you know so they're all a part of it so if, if i'm if it if i was a christian and i went to a church and I walked up to this guy, Bob, and I went up to him. I shook his hand. Hey, good to see you. God bless. God bless. Then he's feeling good. When he goes home and he does whatever he does, he believes that I've got his back in whatever he does because I'm so happy to see him and I'm promoting the same God he is and the same book he's reading. So I'm going to play a clip. This is from the Atheist Experience from about 10 years ago, and the, the lady host, Tracy, um, is explaining a little bit about um, what happens if Christians take control of society. So it's a quick five-minute clip, and then we'll be right back with you. We uh, One of the, the last recorded episodes we did at Godless Bitches was another um, talk with uh, Rob Poole, who we had on, uh, mm -hmm. talking about the uh, prayer in psychiatry, in secular uh, treatment and practice, and how there's a lot of debate happening in the UK about that. And I want to stress to people that this is not just an issue isolated to secular psychiatric treatment in the UK. Um, this is actually stuff that is going on currently all over the place. And so you need to start looking out for this. They are inserting spiritual care and spiritual treatments, even spiritual diagnoses um, into regular medical practice and into all kinds of things. And I'm, it, it's not just limited anymore to uh, Christian therapy or, or Christian-owned hospitals, which, by the way, um, are increasing in percentage of hospitals currently. So there's more and more hospitals that are starting to be affiliated with churches or owned by churches, and you're seeing a decline in secular hospitals. Um, this is important because uh, hospitals that are religiously affiliated in that way can tailor their treatments and sometimes. We've seen people that maybe didn't get a decent quality of care at some Catholic hospitals in other countries, and I know there have been some issues reported um, elsewhere. And so there, this is a concern. I mean, the, the, the more that the hospitals around you start to become religiously affiliated, the more you're going to have, we're going to have to start looking at the idea of maybe not allowing them to dictate doctrinal medical care, yeah, you know, I doctrinally mean, specific. It's, if it's one hospital and you have several others within the same range, and, and this is fine, you know, they, they want to have their religious privilege or whatever in that situation, um, maybe that was okay because you have other options available. But, they, but if they're going to start purchasing up all the hospitals, uh, then there's going to be a conflict here because if they don't want to give, if, if their primary consideration is the religious doctrine and not the patient care, we have a problem. Right. We've already seen, uh, or for a number of years running, there have been cases popping up here and there of pharmacists who uh, who took uh, conscience clauses, was it? Yes. Where they, they refused to give somebody their prescribed birth control, for yeah. instance. And that, uh, we, ta and, we talked about this on um, yeah. Godless Bitches. One of the things that was interesting to me is that 
uh, one of the original reasons that I contacted um, Rob Poole was to ask him about the ethics of that question because he had published on ethics in uh, in medical healthcare and then he published specifically on religious boundaries and ethics and he also holds a position where he is um, tasked with uh, taking ethical reports or ethical uh, problem reports right. of other therapists that are in practicing. So he is somebody that can speak to ethics. And at the time I contacted him, he was just, you know, absolutely no, they, there should not be um, a religious uh, edict that allows you to uh, not make the, the, the patient primary, you know, should be the primary consideration in any sort of care. And it should come second to everything. And when when we talked about it on Godless Bitches, this is some years later, and he said that uh, they actually had taken, I guess, a vote among pharmacists there in the UK who said that no, they felt like it, they wanted to have primary patient care as the primary consideration. I mean, the patient care was primary consideration, and they didn't feel that uh, the religious exemption was a good thing, and yet it was still legislated so that now they also have that same exemption there. And this is what I'm trying, I think, to let people know is that this is this is encroaching like more and more and more. You're, you're going to start seeing these. Um, we've seen, you know, clinics, for example, women's healthcare clinics uh, go into decline if they offer particular services for reproductive services. And what happens is it becomes harder and harder to find these clinics so that even if you have been, uh, even if your right to access those services has been uh, identified as a protected right by the Supreme Court of the United States, there are still s these subversive laws that go into effect that then eliminate your capacity to go and get those services. So that what ultimately happens is that you have a, a, a right with no teeth whatsoever um, that on the books says you can do this, but your capacity is completely stripped or so difficult to access that you cannot exercise that right. So they are undermining rights here. They're saying, we don't care if it is your right, we're gonna make sure you can't do it anyway. Uh, and sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. But has the, as the churches begin buying more hospitals, as the pharmacists begin making more exemptions, um, a lot of this stuff is going to have huge impacts on your you know, reproductive care and uh, what you can access, what you're allowed to have. If they want to start making all the hospitals into religious hospitals, then they're going to have to start uh, giving up that uh, doctrinal first line, uh, patient care second line uh, concept. So that was something that I, I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, so there you go. So if Christians try to take over society, if they try to run the hospitals, then you have no choice but to either follow their beliefs or you have to do this huge long road trip just to find somebody who can help you in the way that you want to be helped. And it's things like this, why it's so paramount for everybody, each one of you, to speak out about this, to challenge Christians, to make them face what the Bible actually says. And so you'll you'll get the basic things. Well, it's not literal. That was a metaphor. That that one, you know, whatever. Well, if you don't take the Bible literally, then why do you read it at all? 
if you're taking it metaphorically, then you could pick any book up and say the lessons I learned from this book explain God, right? The Bible is either literally God's word or it's not. And if it's not literally God's word or you pick and choose this part is this part isn't, which is a load of horse crap because it's always going to be the good stuff is God and the, the bad stuff is literal, right? So, but it's so important that we have discussions with people all around us about this to protect each other and protect future generations. What do we call it when the Christians are in charge? We call it the dark ages, right? So let's talk about a couple Bible verses and then we'll, I guess we'll be done for the day. Um, so Matthew chapter 10, 14, if the people of that town don't receive your message, wipe the dust from that town off of your shoes and move along. But instead of doing that, Christians want to force their beliefs on other people. You can have your toy. You can be happy playing with your toy, but don't make me play with your toy. I don't want to. And then the Bible also says, care not for matters of these, this world. If you love this world, then you hate the father or the father hates you. So it's telling you not to worry about this world. And then these Christians or pretend to be Christians run for Congress. They're, they're all your political, uh, the people in politics, they're all religious, right? So they're all actively making a life out of caring for this world pushing their views on other people. So they're already not being a Christian according to the Bible. They're not being a Christian, so we just need to say, well, just stop saying you're a Christian. Stop doing things under the name of Christianity that's so clearly against what the Bible says. How are you going to say you're a Christian while you're ignoring the Bible? I don't get it. So another random Bible verse, we'll go to Matthew 18, 18, and that basically says, whatever the church says, heaven agrees. So whatever they say in, on earth, the heaven backs up. But that obviously can't be true. I mean, it's literally the, the most clearest thing. We've got churches that disagree with each other, like the LGBT topic, right? One says yes, one says no. But if both of them are churches, which one does heaven go with? Yes or no? church one or church two. So literally whatever, you know, uh, whatever the church says, heaven agrees is bullcrap, right? It's just not true. Um, there's another verse in John that says, if you forgive somebody, they are forgiven. And in reading the whole context, you know, the whole story, that's what it says. If you forgive somebody, they are forgiven. So let me tell you this. Everybody in the world is forgiven, I forgive everybody in the world, everyone that has ever been and ever will be. I forgive them. So according to the Bible, everybody's forgiven, so we don't need Jesus, okay? And then the last verse is Romans chapter 11, um, verse 32. God literally sets you up to fail so he can show you his mercy, God literally makes you do bad stuff just so he can be the one to fix you. God knocks you down. He pushes you to the ground just so he can be the one to hold out his hand and say, I'll pick you back up. Look how great I was. Isn't that great?
Um, there was a, a, a skit that, or not skit, but one, part of uh, Dave Chappelle's act that he did. And it was talking about a pimp and a prostitute. And when when the prostitute wouldn't make the pimp enough money, he would beat her senseless. And then when she was beaten and all beat up, the, the pimp takes her to like a, a bathtub, runs her a bubble bath and, you know, this and that, and just makes her feel great. And now the prostitute looks at the pimp. Look, look how well he's treating me. What an amazing guy. And she forgets that he's the one who did that to her. And that's basically what Romans 11.32 is. God literally beats you just so he can be the one to make you better. So I guess that's enough for today. What do y'all think? Um, we'll just close with this little bit and then we'll be done. So Jesus loves you. So love is supposed to be this powerful thing, this meaningful thing. It's supposed to be special. So when you find somebody out there and you get to know them and they tell you that they love you for the first time, I mean, that should be like the best feeling in the world. They love you, right? So when somebody else tells me that somebody else loves me, it just, it sounds ridiculous, right? First off, why, this isn't grade school. Why can't Jesus just tell me he loves me? And second off, if Jesus loves me and also 10 billion other people, then it really doesn't make me feel loved, like, love is supposed to be an intimate, personal thing. Um, and if you just love everybody, then I don't, it just, it's it's not special, is it? The person that you've been with for years or however long, months, years, and then they say they love you, but then they also tell everybody else they meet they love them, it's no longer special, is it? So Jesus loving you is not special. So anyway, that's it. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening, cunts.